Well, good morning again. My name is Tim. I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here on staff um, at our Olathe campus. So why don't I pray for us as we, uh, we look at Psalm 19 and the Bible this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank that you that you have spoken through your scripture. That God, for, for those of us in this room, wherever we're at, whatever we're facing, whatever questions we have, God, we need not wonder if you have spoken into our lives and into this world. So God, we open your Bible now trusting that you will speak for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, religious people say strange things. And I realize as a pastor, we say some of the strangest things. So maybe it's just all our fault. But for example, I was, I was with a friend or I was, I was with someone um, in my church who was sick. I'd gone to kind of visit and pray with them. And while I was there, I one of their friends came over um, to encourage them and, and met really well and was really sweet. And as they were leaving, the friend said to the person who was sick, Now, I'm not worried about you because there's a man upstairs watching out for you. Now, maybe for some of you, the idea that there's a man upstairs watching you is encouraging. To me, that's creepy. Now, why is he upstairs? What's he doing up there? Why doesn't he just come downstairs? Now, we speak about God in strange ways sometimes, and religious people especially, we have a tendency to say all sorts of strange things about God. And so it raises a question, what, where do we go to to find what's true about God? How do we know what's actually true and right about what God is? Now, all kinds of religious people say all kinds of things about God, but why should we listen to them? What do they know? Which raises the question, where do we go? Where do we separate what's absurd about God from what's authentic? And for centuries, Christians have answered that question with with one word, Bible. We go to the Bible because in the Bible, we believe God is speaking and revealing himself to us. And I know what some of you are thinking, right? That Tim, the Bible says some of the strangest things there is. So no wonder religious people say strange things. I mean, look what's in the Bible. And that's true, and we'll get to that in some way this morning. But for now, we we need to understand the Bible on its own terms, what it is and what it should be or how we should view it. If the Bible's anything, it's God speaking, revealing himself to us about what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That the Bible is a story about God and who he is trying to break through into our world so we can know him. And that, that if we should believe anything about the Bible, it's that in the Bible, God is speaking. That's not the question for Christians. The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are you listening? And that's the psalm we just heard read. That's what it's driving us to. It says, it's obvious, God is speaking all, all through creation and most of all in his word. But are you listening? And as we ask ourselves that question, Psalm 19 will show us that because God is speaking, there is sight for the blind, there is food for the starving, and there is joy for the sad. So because God is speaking, there's sight for the blind, food for the starving, joy for the sad. So let's start in with first, because God is speaking through his word, there is sight for the blind. As I read Psalm 19, verses 7 and 9 really jump out at me more so than other verses. That in those three verses, there's these six statements about what God's word is and what God's word does. 
right? And so the first half of each of those verses says, the law of the Lord, it's perfect. God's word is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. That's what God's word is. And then the second half of the verse is what God's word does. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is righteous altogether. That's what God's word does. As I was reflecting on that, if that's what God's word does to us, it assumes something. Right? If God's word enlightens the eyes, it assumes we're blind. If God, God's word makes wise the simple, it assumes that we are simple, which is another word for foolish. If God's word rejoices the heart, it means we are sad. It, that if, if God's word does all of, all of these things, it means the opposite is true of us. And that's why we need God to speak to us. Because on our own, by ourselves, we are, we are blind, we are starving, we are, we are sad. God has spoken and it reverses, it changes all of those things. But that does mean that you and I, we probably, many of us in this room, have to change the way we look at the Bible. The Bible is not some book of values to make better people into really good people. It's not some, just a book of religious laws from which we should teach our children. Yes, it has all of those things, and that is important. But ultimately, the Bible is a story about who God is and what he's doing, what he's like. He wants us to hear that, to know him. And ultimately, above all else, the, the Bible is sight for blind people. Right? It's not values to make me better. I can't see. I need sight. And that's what the scriptures are. And the, the author does this with the way he describes God's word. And a couple of the words really jump out to me. At first in verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect. And this word perfect is, 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 could be translated, it's whole, it's blameless, it's coherent. In other words, God sees the entire picture. He sees everything going on in the world, unlike you and I. That we, much of our lives, we ask the question, why? Why did I get sick? Why did I lose my job? Why did this happen to me? That we need to see more of the picture. But when God speaks, and he speaks through his word, God speaks as someone who never asks why. He doesn't, he doesn't have to. He knows. His word is perfect. But beyond that, the psalmist goes then into the fact that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Pure. Another word for pure just being it's perfect. It has no air. And so Christians have understood the Bible with, with one word for centuries, the word inerrant. That when God speaks, and he has spoken through his scripture, what he, what he has spoken is a perfect reflection of who he is. There's no air to it. And so even going back some 1,600 years, a theologian named Augustine has the same view of the Bible then that we have today in Christ's community. And he wrote a letter to another Christian named Jerome to describe the way he viewed the Bible, the way that we view the Bible today. And here's what he wrote some 1,600 plus years ago. He said, For I admit to your charity, I learned to show reverence and respect only to those books of the Scripture that are now called canonical, so that I most firmly believe that none of their authors erred in writing anything. And if I come upon something in those writings that seem contrary to truth, I have no doubt that either the manuscript is defective or the translator did not follow what was said or that I did not understand it. Now, as a church, one of the things we say about the Bible is that we believe it's inerrant in its original manuscripts. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, what it means is that when God first revealed himself to David, who wrote this psalm, this Psalm 19, when God revealed himself to David, he enabled David to write that revelation in a way that perfectly reflects what God wants us to hear. Right? So the Bible is both written by human beings in their time and their place, but it's also this inspired, inerrant revelation of who God is. So that means we can trust it. But for a lot of us, right, that raises a couple of questions. Well, what does Augustine mean when he talks about there's an error in the manuscript? Well, one of the reasons we know, actually, the Bible is really trustworthy, the, the, what we have here is that an incredible reflection of the manuscripts that, that were originally written, is that we have thousands of copies. And so even Augustine in his day knew that if there was an error, he knew there was an error there because he had all of these manuscripts from which to look from. And so we as a Christians know that what we have is an accurate reflection. Psalm 19 that we read here was written by David thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. But the second question, and probably more, more pressing for most of us in this room, would be, okay, but Tim, science and the Bible are totally at odds with one another. And the Bible is full of errors when it comes to science. And it's a common viewpoint. And if that's, that's the position you're in this morning, you feel like science just, it just says things that totally contradict the Bible. I would just encourage you to ask the question this morning, do you see the whole picture? Do you see the whole picture? And I hesitate to bring this up because this is an incredibly controversial topic, but thankfully I know everyone in here is so nice and gracious and kind and will give me lots of grace as they hear me say what I'm about to say. So I'm going to dive in. But today, most people work for the assumption that either you can believe in the Bible and in science, or or either you can believe in science, or you can believe in the Bible. There's no both and. And so therefore, I have a number of friends who were brought up in the church who left their faith because of their encounter with, with evolution or with, with science. And if you're in that camp this morning, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult who maybe left your faith a long time ago, I would ask you, if that's what you feel like are your two choices, I would just ask, do you see the whole picture? That maybe you're missing something about what Genesis 1 and 2 says about creation. That I know many thoughtful Christians whose encounter with evolution has not led them to dismiss their faith. Now, while many people do say you have to choose between the Bible or science, that's a false choice. And people who say that are missing the whole picture. And so if, if you're in that place this morning, I would just encourage you, keep looking, keep pressing in, keep searching. Go to the Bible more and more and read and listen and hear. And go to science more and more and read and hear and listen. That the two do not necessarily contradict one another. And there are lots of thoughtful, humble, smart people who have landed there. So don't, don't stop if that's where you're at this morning. So now that we've dealt with that, there's another reason that many people dismiss the Bible. And that's because the Bible is offensive. If you read it long enough, it will offend you. In fact, I would argue if, if you've read the Bible and it doesn't offend you, you're not reading it properly. Because let's, let's just assume for a minute that what Christians say about the Bible is true. That it's, it's God speaking. Right? God, the most righteous, perfect, pure, clean being that ever existed, He speaks. Well then, if He's speaking, that would assume unless you are the most righteous, pure, perfect being, something of what He's going to say is going to offend you. Because He's going to say something is wrong that you think is right. He's going to see something that you can't see. He's going to know something that you don't know. And so if you read the book, and it's really God speaking, in some way it's going to offend you. And that's why the Bible really offends everybody in every culture. 
I mean, if I was preaching this message in Africa, it would be much different than here in the United States. But the Bible does offend everybody in every culture. So here's what it means for our culture. That we all have blind spots. And one of the point, one of the things we need to hear this morning is that without the Bible, you cannot know God. That's why what we believe about the Bible is so important, because without it, without God really speaking into our lives, we can't know him, because all of us have blind spots. And none of us in this room sees everything. And that's why David, after he, he has those three verses where he talks about what God's word is and what it does, he goes to a prayer and he begins to pray. And when he starts his prayer in verse 12, he says this. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And David's asking God to forgive him of hidden faults, of things he's doing wrong that he doesn't know is wrong. That David assumes he's going to not see the whole picture. He's going to sin in ways he didn't know were wrong because God sees more than he does. And it means all of us, no matter where we are or where we live, we all have blind spots. We all have things that we don't see that God does. That when he says, that's wrong, it's going to offend us. So here's what that means in our cultural context today. And my guess is many in this room, many people in our culture today, dismiss the Bible because of what it says about, about sex. The Bible is pretty clear that, that the only person you're to have sex with is, is to your spouse of another gender, which means that you can't sleep with someone you're not married to. It means that you can't sleep or have sex with someone of the same gender. And many people in our culture hear that and, and find that utterly offensive and regressive and backwards and, and mean-spirited. And I would say, if you've dismissed the Bible this morning or or just in your life because of what it says about sex, let me just say it, I understand. Because the Bible is completely opposite when it comes to sex than where our culture is. But if that is where you are, I would just encourage you to at least ask the question, does the Bible or does God see something about sex that you don't? Does he know something about sex that, that you don't? Do you see the whole picture there? Are you missing something? That what if, what if we're the ones that are culturally regressive and not the Bible? What if we're the ones who are backwards? And so that's a question we have to ask because the only way you can really know that you know God is if he tells you things that you do not want to hear. That's the way you know him, is that he's come in and he's contradicted you. That unless God is able to offend you, to contradict you, then all that you end up with is a God who's just you, a bigger version of it. Just a God who agrees with everything that you think and say. That, that imagine, right, someone reads through the entire Bible, they get to the end, and they say, you know, I, I've read the whole Bible, and it agrees with me about everything. In fact, God is exactly how I thought God should be like. Right, that person would be arrogant. It'd be insufferable. And those people do exist. Some of them are Christians. They're arrogant, they're disdainful of people who, who disagree or are different from them. Because they read this book and all they see is themselves. But if you read this book for what it is and hear God speaking, it will be the most humbling experience you can go through. Because this book is a God speaking who knows things that you don't. Who thinks things are wrong that you think are right. Who sees more than you see. And so that's why if you read this book, it's going to offend you. Or it will humble you. And it will give you sight for your blind eyes. Because God is speaking. 
and it's sight for the blind. So are you listening? So that's point one. Evolution and homosexuality and everything else that's a light topic that uh, Nathan took the week off for. <laughs> Can I get you anything? Are you all right? Okay. But second, because God is starving, or because, not because God is starving, that's bad. Um, because God is speaking, there is food for the starving. And point two. And one of the things that, that I like, or one of my favorite verses in this this Psalm 19 is verse 7 where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And I love this phrase, reviving the soul, because elsewhere, the two words that we translate there, revive the soul, are used in Lamentations 1.11 to describe someone who is starving gets food and the food revives their soul. That here's how Lamentations 1.11 depicts those verses, or those two words. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. To revive their strength. That, that God's word, when he speaks, it's food to a starving soul. And maybe you would disagree with me. And you would say, I'm not starving. Really? But look at the way some of us manage our schedules. We know it's way too busy. We know it's not sustainable. We know it's ridiculous. And yet we can't stop because we feel like we need all that we're doing. That we're eating, but we're, we're starving. Look at our culture. In a, in a culture saturated with p- pornography, that's a, that's a sign that we are starving for true relationship. That in a culture saturated with material wealth and prosperity, we're still a culture saturated with anxiety and despair. That all of us may be eating, but we are starving. And what, what David wants us to see is that God's word is nourishment to our soul. But, but before we get into that, we have to ask, well, why are we starving? What's, what's wrong with us? And this verse 10 is, is really helpful when David says that God's word is more to be desired than gold. And this, this word, more to be desired, it's a loaded word in the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's used, the first two times it's, it's used is in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. In Genesis 2, God makes all of creation, puts the first humans in a garden, and he says, all I have made you is good. It's to be desired. Enjoy it. Fulfill your life. Go and enjoy it. And that, that's, that's what he says. And, and he says, this creation is to be desired. And then he says, but there's one tree. Don't desire that. That leads to death. And then in Genesis 3, when we get to the account of why the Bible says everything went wrong in this world, it says that the, one of the human beings, they looked at that tree and they desired it. Same word. They desired the very thing God said would would kill them, would starve them. And that's our problem, all of us. That we no longer desire what God has said, what he's speaking. Now we desire things that lead to our starvation, to our death. And we chase after those things, and we hunger after those things, and they don't satisfy. So what do you lay awake at night anxious about? What do you daydream about hoping will come to pass? Is it to know God better, to hear him speaking? Because if it's not, then, then you know why you're starving. Because God's word is true nourishment. That's what verse 10 is saying, that God's word is, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. No, some of you hear that and you think, Tim, I've read the Bible. It's not more to be desired than gold. 
right? It's not sweeter than honey. I read it for 15 minutes, and I either fell asleep or I wasn't sure what I was doing for the last 15 minutes after I was done reading, right? And then if I put a pot of gold up here next to a Bible, I think I know what most of you would choose. And we, we have the skepticism, and my guess is many of us in this room, reading the Bible has been hard, or we maybe even justified our neglect of reading the Bible with, with a couple of reasons. The first being, a lot of us probably say, you know, I'm just not a reader. I, I just I connect with God in other ways. All right, Tim, it's great that you love reading the Bible. You're a nerd. That's your deal. Enjoy it. But that's not me. I connect with God in creation or through a good song or through a good conversation. And I want to say all those ways are really good ways to connect with God. In fact, that's David's point, I think, in, in the first four verses of Psalm 19 where he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handy, handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. God, God absolutely speaks in many ways. But notice, David doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, go look at a sunset and you'll get all you need. No, the sunset doesn't revive your soul. A sunset doesn't give you sight for blind eyes. You need more, and that's why David goes into this. You need the word of God. You need the law of the Lord. You need scripture, him speaking. Because ultimately, scripture is what gives those other things meaning anyway. What makes a sunset more meaningful, or what makes a good conversation more meaningful, or a good song more meaningful, is that it accurately reflects what God has said to you what he means for you to hear. So that's where some of us are. We, we, we say we're not readers, but that's not a reason not to read and not to push into what the Bible is saying. The second, and I think this, may, this one may be more common, and if it's not spoken, it's unspoken. A lot of us would say, I, I just don't read the Bible because I, I don't really get anything out of it. I don't understand it. It's hard to get. There's weird words in there. I just I don't get anything out of it. I understand that excuse, but... But imagine me using that excuse with a friend or, or with my wife. Right? Misty, I, I'd love to talk to you right now, but I'm probably not going to get anything out of it. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> right? I mean, in one sense, I wouldn't have to talk to her anymore because we wouldn't be married anymore. Right? I mean, that, that would help. But, but a lot of us use that with God. And listen, I get that, that when we open this book, it's difficult to understand because, right, Men, when we get married, we begin to relate to a woman, and sometimes women are not easy to understand, and it's difficult. You have to listen in. You have to hear. And likewise, if God is speaking, and God is completely righteous, completely perfect, completely holy, he's going to say things that I think aren't important, that I don't understand, but that's not a reason to stop reading. It's a reason to read more, to press in more, to not give up just because I'm not getting anything out of it. Or I might even suggest maybe the reason you're not getting anything out of it is, is actually by design. That God actually wants you just to come to listen. Not because you get a great, grand insight, not because you get a verse that suddenly changes your life, but just, just to be with him. To come for him, not for what he gives you, but just for him. And so there's not a good reason not to read the Bible, but the, the most important reason not to give up reading the scriptures, because without the Bible, we will starve. We'll go hungry. But what are you trying to, to nourish your soul with now? Approval? Success? Material wealth? Physical beauty? Those things will starve you. They will not give you nourishment. And that's why David at the end of his psalm, as he continues to pray in response to what God's word is, in verse 13, he says, And keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless 
and innocent of great transgression. And the word blameless there in verse 13 is the same word in verse 7 that we translate perfect. The word that means whole or complete, or I would even say nourished. Right? That, that someone who comes to the word of God to listen to God speaking becomes blameless. They become whole. They become nourished so that they don't go out and sin. They don't chase their life after things that don't give them any meaning. They're blameless because they know what nourishes, and it's God in him speaking. Because God is speaking, and it is food for the starving. So why are you listening? Well, lastly, and, and this is my favorite, that because God is speaking, there is joy for the sad. In verse 8, I love what it says. It says that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. And I love this verse because it assumes that because God has spoken, there is joy for those who are sad. There's, there's gladness in the midst of, of a dark, despairing world. And as a pastor, I need this. Because I need to know there are words to speak to people who are broken. That I'm not a pastor because I think I have great insight or great wisdom. In fact, I'm, the exact opposite of that I know is true. I've sat across from people and had nothing to say. Now, what do you say to a daughter whose father just died? What do you say to a mama who lost her baby girl? What do you say to a student whose parents are going through a divorce? What do you say to someone who's, who knows their death is imminent? I don't have anything to say. And neither do you. Unless God has spoken... And that's the point of what Christians believe about the Bible is, yes, God has spoken. And if it's anything, it's joy for the sad. And that's why you and I, when, when we open this book, when we begin to read this book, we, we should not and cannot just read it for what it means to me or what we, what we want to get out of it. Because who cares what it means to us? We don't know anything. right? We're blind. We're starving. We're sad. We don't need to read this and say, oh, this is what it means to me. What we need to hear is what God means for us to hear, what he intends to say, why he spoke in the first place. That's why anytime when Nathan preaches or, or when I come up to preach, we spend a lot of time studying this text. What does this text mean? What does God mean for us to say? It's why I gave up three years of my life to go and study Greek and Hebrew to better understand the meanings of the words behind this text so I would know what God means for us to hear, not just what I want to hear. What does God mean for us to hear? What is he saying? And we need to come to this book with open ears, listening because without the Bible, ultimately, we will not, we cannot hear God. Without the Bible, we'll just hear ourselves. We'll just hear a sad world that is broken, that is full of hard things. But about two years ago, I was sort of in the middle of my um, schooling uh, that I, I just finished. And while I was there, I worked two jobs and, and, and had a really busy schedule. And about midway through, the, through that season of life... Um, I knew I was away from home way too much, and so I, I felt like a failure as a husband. I also just had, um, we just had a baby boy. Our first son was born, and if you're a parent, you know that that means you feel guilty constantly. Um, and so obviously I was feeling guilty constantly about not just being, not being with my wife, but also not being with my son. I was working two jobs, so I felt like I wasn't doing well at either one. I felt like I was failing at both. And then I had schooling, which I felt like I didn't have enough time for my schooling, and I was <laughs> not doing well there either, and was failing at that. And I just had this constant sense of guilt and, and a sense of failing, and, and above all, a sense that God was frustrated and angry with me because I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. 
Well, one of my jobs was as a worship pastor, and, and uh, as a worship pastor, we had prayer and, and worship nights at our church, and so we had a, a Sunday night, um, prayer and worship night, and after it was over, I did what most pastors do at the end of any church service. I felt terrible about myself, like I did a terrible job, and, uh, and, and I, was, I, was just, I was just feeling that sense of guilt. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything God wants me to do. I'm just failing. And, and one of my friends, John, he came up to me, and he was just a, just a guy who prayed constantly. But he came up to me and he said, Tim, I was praying for you during the service, and I just felt God lead me to, to Ephesians 2, verse 7. I just wanted to read the scripture for you. And, and just want you to know that God, God has saved you, and then he quoted Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So I, I just want you to hear that God's, God wants to deal kindly with you. And he had no idea of the internal struggle, the, the things I was feeling in my heart and life at that time. But he, he just said, Tim, kindness. You need to hear that word. And it's a great story. But the worst part of that story for me is the fact that God was already saying that to me. I just wasn't listening. I'd used my busy schedule, my loaded down life, even my schooling, which a part of which was to study the Bible as an excuse not to just dig in and read the book and hear and listen and take time for God to speak to me, whether I got anything out of it or not. That God was saying kindness to me over and over and over again in Ephesians 2.7, but I wasn't listening. That there's joy for a sad world here, but not if we don't listen. And the reality is this world is a loud place to live. It will speak your condemnation. It will give you all sorts of negative things to say to yourself. At least of all, the, the things we have to face in this life, whether it's our own, our own death, our own sicknesses, the, 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 tor- or the, the, the frustrations among our family or friends, this world will speak all kinds of negative things to you. And if you don't come to this book to listen, the negativity and distraction of this world will be louder than the joy that God has for us in his word. And so we need to go, and we need to listen. And so for many of us this morning, a simple next step is pretty easy. Right, maybe some of you, you you're like, I, I read the Bible when I get to it, or, or I try to, but it's just I, my schedule, you know, it's busy. And I get that. And that's why today... Just go to your calendar, clear out 15 minutes every day this week to sit down and listen and to read. And as a church, we've even tried to help with that. The one way of doing that is, is through our Open Here series. We have bookmarks in our lobby and, and, and on your way out through the doors for a chapter a day to read and to listen that go along with our sermon series. But if you walk away from this morning and don't carve out intentional time to read the Bible, then you're going to continue to be blind and starving and above all sad. And I think this third one is, is the biggest one, right? That we all live in a hard world. And I'm guessing many of you, you have circumstances you're facing that are loud to you, that want to overwhelm you, that want to distract you, that want to speak negativity, that want to make you feel guilty. And you need to come to this book to listen. Because in this book is joy for the sad. And for the daughter who lost her father, there's joy. And for the mother who lost her baby girl, there's joy. And for the kid, the student going with their parents going through a divorce, there's joy. For the person facing their death, there is joy. I know because I sat, I've sat in those seats as a pastor with nothing to say and just listened to them recite me scripture and how it's made a difference and the power they've drawn from it. Because in this book is not some empty words 
of empty encouragement and pithy sayings. It's God speaking to his people, saying, I have joy for you in a sad world. But we won't hear it if we don't go and listen. And that's why I think David ends where he ends in verse 14. He says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That this phrase, the meditation of my heart, is really just another way of saying self-talk. Right? Meditation of my heart. Meditation literally means talking. Talking of my heart. The self-talk I have. And all of us have it. And if you're just anything like me, it's like you have a jerk inside of you. Right? He's just mean. And says nasty things all the time. And, and continually speaks guilt and frustration. And, and if that's not enough, then you have a world that will speak plenty of hard things for you to hear. That's why our meditation needs to be changed. And the movement of this psalm from the beginning to the end is how God has spoken through all of creation and he's spoken in his word and that should begin to be what we speak to our hearts. So we need to stop saying the things that we say to our hearts because what do we know anyway? We need to listen to a God who sees, who has nourishment, and who has joy. That needs to become what our our self-talk is. But that raises a question. And what has God said? If we could sum up the entire Bible, what would we say? And I would say, if you could sum up what God has said, it would be one person, Jesus. And if you could sum up Jesus in one word, I might use the word that David uses at the end of the psalm, rock. He is our rock. And for many of you, like, what does that mean? That's not encouraging to me. Rocks I normally throw. What, what, why? Why a rock? And in the Hebrew scriptures, for the people who would have read this originally, a rock was a sign of nourishment. It was a sign of hope, a sign of help. In that day, if you lived in the desert, and if you were in the desert and you were tired and hungry and thirsty and you saw a rock, it meant there was, there was nourishment there. There would most likely be a, sp- a spring of water there or shelter there. That a rock was a sign of security, of help, of strength, of safety. And Jesus is our rock. At the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. That he was your sight when you were blind. He was your food when you were hungry. He was your joy when you were sad. And God is still speaking through this book, that person, Jesus. That God is speaking. And imagine if Jesus was the only word that you listened to. 